Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. This is episode number four of a mini-series I am calling Thriver Stories. And today we meet uh, my new friend, Ashley. And I want to say, we don't mention this in this story because we recorded a few weeks ago. Ashley has just given birth to a baby, healthy baby boy named Brenner. And so we want to say congratulations to Ashley. Um, I think you are going to really enjoy hearing her story, hearing the way God was able to really meet her in her really hard season, this hard place she had to walk through um, and really bring beauty from ashes. And so it's a beautiful story. Ashley is a beautiful woman. And I'm excited to share this story with you. And I'm excited to congratulate Ashley on her second son. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with Ashley Opliger. She is the founder and president of Bridget's Cradles. It is an organization that donates knit and crocheted cradles to over a thousand hospitals. And you might be wondering, what do you mean, Jacqueline, by knit and crocheted cradles? Well, I would ask you at some point to head over on Instagram to Bridget's Cradles uh, after you find Ashley as well and just check out what they look like. That will actually help explain what we're going to be talking about. But Ashley's also going to dive into her story, which will help explain it all as well. So Ashley, thank you for being here and tell me a little bit more about yourself. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, so my name is Ashley. And like you said, I'm the executive director of Bridget's Cradles. And I started this ministry um, with my family back in 2014 when um, my husband and I lost our first daughter, Bridget. Um, She was actually stillborn at 24 weeks into my pregnancy due to complications in my pregnancy. Um, It's called subchorionic hemorrhage and placental abruption. I was bleeding for weeks. I was put on bed rest at 13 weeks and then was on bed rest all the way up until about 24 weeks. when she was born and just walking that whole journey of the pregnancy and having so many worries and fears and doubts and kind of questioning God, you know, how, how is this a good plan for my life and how, why, why are you letting this happen to my baby? And, um, that was a really hard part of my faith and everything, just walking through that, um, during that during that time of questioning his goodness during that time, because every doctor's appointment we would go to, it'd be like the hemorrhage is getting bigger and she's getting um, further and further growth restricted because of the the clot that was behind the placenta. And, and so it was a really, really tough time for our family and for, for my husband and I, um, but we tried to really focus on celebrating her life. We found out that she was a girl at 19 weeks and had a special little um, gender reveal party for her with our close family. We we knew that regardless of what happened, we wanted to celebrate her life on earth. And so that was really important for us and a, a fond memory that we have of our time with her. Um, but when she was born, um, I went into labor at 24 weeks. And when I got to the hospital, she and um, they thought they maybe could 
hear a heartbeat, but it was really faint. And by the time that she was born, they um, checked her for signs of life and she had already gone to be with Jesus in heaven. So obviously that was just an incredibly heartbreaking time and just sad and overwhelming with just this grief that we had never known or ever expected that we would go through. Um, when you get pregnant for the first time, you just don't even think that this could be a possibility. Even though it's talked about and even though more and more moms are sharing their stories, I feel like back when I was experiencing it, I felt like I was the first and only person to be going through it. Obviously now I, I know that that's not the case, but um, it is a very isolating experience. And so um, to kind of backtrack a week before she was born, I had been hospitalized again because I was bleeding and um, passing heavier clots and just we weren't sure you know what was happening. I was starting to be dilated. And during that time, the NICU doctors told my, myself, my family, that they didn't really think I would be able to stay pregnant much longer, that um, you know, my body was not hanging on um, through those complications. And so they had warned us that if she was born, that there was a good chance she would be so small um, that they wouldn't be able to have IVs that would fit in her veins and they wouldn't really be able to do much to save her even if she was born alive. And so hearing that news, we left the hospital just really sad and, and questioning everything. Um, but my mom, who's actually a postpartum nurse at that hospital, and um, she knits, she went home and she was wanting to knit a little blanket for Bridget. Um, she just wanted to have a small blanket so that when Bridget was born, you know, so small and tiny that we would have something for her. Because she had already made, you know, of course, the big, the big uh, knit blanket the day that she found out I was pregnant. Um, so she'd gone home and done this that week prior. And as she was knitting the blanket, she was thinking, how can I swaddle such a tiny baby in this blanket? And that's really when God gave her the idea to knit the sides up and turn it into a little cradle, which surprisingly had not ever been done before. And so she had made this little cradle. She sewed lace around the edges and put a little cross charm on the, on the head of the cradle at the top. And she packed it in her hospital bag. She didn't even tell me that she had made it. She promised um, herself that she wouldn't say anything because she didn't want to, you know, worry me or concern me that, um, that she was expecting, you know, a, a poor outcome. Of course, she was praying and praying like all of our families, both of our families, we were just praying that regardless of what the medical staff were telling us that we'd have this miracle and Bridget would be born, you know, healthy and full term. And so she had packed it away um, and just kept praying. And that following week when I went into labor, the hospital staff bundled Bridget, who she was only 13 ounces. So she was so small, so fragile, but perfectly, wonderfully made. Um, they put her in, you know, the traditional hospital blankets that you see with the pink and the blue lines. And she was just swallowed up in it. You couldn't really see her or feel her weight. Um, there was just that disconnect of not being able to really to see her and love on her the way that we wanted to. And so my mom had taken the cradle out and we placed her inside and it just was so perfect for her. It's just, it, it just bundled her up in love and we were able to hold her close, pass her to family members who could hold her, kiss on her, love on her. Um, truly it changed everything for us. We had 24 hours to spend with her before she had to be taken to the funeral home. And as heartbreaking as those moments were, those also were the moments that we had to show our daughter 
on earth how much we loved her and how much we wanted her and and the cradle allowed us to do that and so as heartbreaking as it was i also remember experiencing joy and love and all those feelings as a mom just that unconditional love that you have for your child and so we were able to hold her and, and have her in the cradle and then um a couple of days later when we chose um her burial we chose to bury her inside the cradle inside her casket and that gave us comfort too knowing that she was bundled up in love in that way and so if you get a chance there are pictures on our website of her in the cradle and and um, I think that will be easier for you to kind of see what I'm talking about. But um, that was the birth of Bridget's Cradles. Um, at the time, I knew that God had something in store, but I didn't really know what that was. Um, I knew that he had given me this peace on that day of her birth, because like I told you during my pregnancy, I just had so many doubts and so many questions and I was fearing the unknown. And felt like my life was out of control. I couldn't do anything to protect or um, save my my daughter. And so there was almost this peace that came over to, over me once I knew that she was in heaven and she was alive and perfect and whole in heaven with God. And so really what happened after that is I came home, I went to her nursery, her empty nursery, and I just was on the floor in the fetal position. I still had my hospital wristband on my hand. And I just remember crying out to the Lord and saying, okay, God, like I, if I'm going to believe in you, I, I do believe in you. I had been walking with Jesus prior to, to Bridget's birth and to her pregnancy. But I think for me, it was almost this like crisis of faith of like, do I really believe what I say? I believe, do I really believe that she's in heaven with God? And if I do believe that, and I do believe that Jesus is who he said he was, and he did die on the cross and he was, uh, he did miraculously resurrect from the grave. I need to also believe everything else that he says in his word and surrender my complete life to him and just be all in. And so that was my surrender moment, I think, for me of just choosing to say, okay, I'm going to really believe you, God, and I'm going to trust you, even though I really don't like the story that you've written for me. And I really am grieving and sad and overwhelmed with grief. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to walk with you in this because the alternative is to walk without him in this and to not believe that she's in heaven and where, what hope, what other earthly possible, you know, hope could we possibly have to to cling to other than to Jesus and what other coping strategies and mechanisms could I turn to that would give me any sort of relief from my suffering. And so I think that for that point for me was just this huge moment where I said, okay, God, I will do anything that you ask me to do. I believe you. I trust you. I'm so thankful that you gave me the gift of, of my daughter, Bridget, um, because she's, I believe that she's in heaven. She is not lost. It's a temporary separation between us. And so it's not a permanent loss. I get to see her again and I have eternity with her, which is so much greater than the blip of time that I would have gotten with her on earth. And so I think that was the start of that perspective shift for me of how I was going to live out the rest of my days on earth. So that was the start of it. And then I could share more about how Bridges Cradles got to, to be where it is yeah. now. Well, let's just pause there for a moment. I think um, your story is incredibly heartbreaking. Um, 
as I know so many women who are listening uh, will relate in some aspect to either having experienced a miscarriage or a loss of some sort where um, there is that, um, there are those moments where we, you know, whether it's it's re- related to this or something else where we feel like we're questioning our faith and we feel like, okay, I wasn't ready for this level of grief. I wasn't ready for this loss. And um, that moment you share about on the floor is so powerful where I think for so many of us, we would just say, you have disappointed me, God. I am so, um, my faith feels like it's going to fall apart or, you know, like it, that to me feels like the more natural response. Uh, but for you to say, I'm choosing to believe all of these things that you've said are true. And even in my grief, I love that you, it wasn't like you said, suddenly I am, suddenly I'm fine. Suddenly this doesn't hurt anymore. It's like, no, in my grief, in my pain, I'm still choosing you and I'm, I'm choosing you are going to uh, bring some redemption from this moment and this situation and her life and, and celebrate and bring beauty for life. And then even just like you said, um, I had that picture too, when you were talking of this idea of you with her in eternity, that I'm believing that we are going to be reunited forever. And so, um, I just love all that you shared there. Um, I wonder even from that moment, how did you begin to navigate grief because I think that's a place where regardless of um, what we have walked through we can all um, understand some level of grief and just figuring out how to kind of navigate that so how did you begin to move forward from that place of grief yes Um, I love what you said about you know not suddenly being healed from grief in that moment because I was anything but I was broken and sad and questioning, but I felt that, you know, God already knows my heart. He knows how I feel. And so to bring that honesty and vulnerability to him and say, I'm going to choose to trust you, even when I don't really understand why you allowed this to happen. And even though I felt like you abandoned me in my pregnancy, I, I know that you didn't, I know that you're good. And so it was almost kind of training my brain, training my heart to know what my brain already knew, because I think as Christians, this is a pretty standard thing, or at least it is for me, is that you know truth about God in your in your head. You, you know the Bible verses, you know the things, but maybe your heart doesn't really feel that. And so I knew God was good. I knew he wasn't punishing me or or doing anything um, that was, was purposely trying to cause me, you know, suffering. But in my, you know, that's how I felt in my heart is that he was. And so I had to walk through that and know that yes, he is good. And yes, he is good to me. And there's actually so much good that can come from grief and from suffering. And it's taken me, I'm six years, Bridget's sixth birthday was this past October. And so I'm six years into this and still grieving, still missing her still, you know, those feelings are going to be there until I take my last breath and get to enter eternity with her. So it's not that grief just all of a sudden gets wrapped up with this nice bow, even when you found healing and even when you found purpose, like I have, um, grief is just an ongoing road. And so to answer your question, for me at the beginning, I also made a choice that I was not going to like stuff my grief down. I wasn't going to avoid it. I wasn't going to 
um, try to push it away or act like, you know, not talk about it. Um, I really wanted to just sit in my sadness. And that's, that's kind of a, a phrase that I use a lot of times with moms and grieving moms that come for our support groups is that it's good to sit in your sadness. It's good to let yourself um, grieve, give yourself permission to grieve and allow yourself to just feel all the real and raw emotions. Because what happens when we push them down and we don't feel them is that we, we rush back into normal life. Those feelings are still there. They, they can't go away. Um, so they're going to be bottled up. And ultimately I think we're procrastinating our healing when we do that, because I think when we really grieve and we grieve real and raw, then that can lead to healing because we've experienced those emotions and we've walked through that with Jesus. Um, but when we, when we try to avoid them or just keep busy or distracted, which is something that I'm very good at when I feel sad, I just want to work on things or do things to get my mind off of it. But I've been trying to um, allow myself to sit in it. And if I need to cry, then I need to cry. If I need to talk about it with someone, then I need to talk about it with something, someone, um, going to counseling has been healing and helpful for me. Something that I had to learn. Counseling is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And I really, um, am a huge advocate for that because I think that there's so much, especially with the Christian spiritual counselor that can walk you through those feelings of grief that is um, a huge aspect of being able to have a, someone else's perspective walking you through that um through that season so those are my recommendations i guess oh, that's so good i love that you talk about that idea of really giving yourself permission to feel those things and and to feel sad which is not something that we want to feel. And I think actually one of the challenges I was thinking is as you were talking that it's actually really hard for those of us who are walking alongside somebody who's going through grief because our immediate reaction is just to try to figure out how to make them happy. Like how to, how can I make this better? How can I cheer them up? When really we might just need to be able to um, help, help them give them permission to sit in it, help give them permission to grieve. And uh, I love that you shared that about counseling because I totally agree. Um, it is that sign of strength that we're able to really process a lot of those things. And I think it's hard to, it's really hard to process those things on our own. I don't think we're really meant to process those things on our own. And so you might have a great friend or relative or spouse who can really go there with you, but you probably need somebody else who can walk through um, that, sit in that pain with you and be able to help move you through that process towards healing. And I, I think you're right where we, when we do not acknowledge the grief, um, it'll still be there, but it, it starts to show itself in different ways. It's, it's harder for us. And like you said, it procrastinates, delays the healing process. So I love that you shared about that. Um, as you move on, I want to talk about Bridget's cradles in a bit, but I want to move on to, um, when you got pregnant with your son, um, what was that like? Because I imagine that would have triggered some anxiety and some other things getting pregnant again. So how was that process for you? Yes. So our son and um, our second child, his name's Brandon, he was born in March of 2017. So I got pregnant in 2016, which is about two years after Bridget was born. And really, a lot of people ask like why we waited so long with the two year gap. Um, the, the number one reason was that I 
knew that I was not ready to go through those feelings of fears and anxieties because Bridget was my first and only pregnancy. I completely doubted my body's ability to carry life. And I questioned, you know, can my body do this? Are we going to go through this again? Can I um, possibly be strong enough to experience this again? And I, my fears were greater than my faith at that point. And so I had told people, we're not going to start trying until our faith is greater than our fears, because I don't want to have this anxiety ridden pregnancy when I've already experienced an anxiety ridden pregnancy because of the complications. And so during that time, also medically, I was going to doctors and trying to figure out what was wrong and was um, diagnosed with PCOS and figured out some hormonal issues. And um, I later have been on progesterone during my uh, subsequent pregnancies, and that has been a huge help for me. Um, and so I was trying to figure out medical things, physical things, getting my body healthy and ready for pregnancy. But also I was giving myself time to grieve because I knew I wasn't ready yet to welcome a new life. I was, I was grieving Bridget and I was starting Bridget's Cradles. I resigned from my job in, in 2015 of um, being a speech language pathologist to pursue ministry full time. And so I was starting this ministry and really throwing myself into it with everything that I had. And so those two years were really kind of that, that foundation of the ministry and also the foundation of me being preparing my heart and my mind for pregnancy. So surprisingly enough, my pregnancy with Branton, I was not anxious <laughs> during the pregnancy. Um, what surprised me though, was that my anxiety came once he was born and I went through a period of postpartum anxiety, um, of just worrying that, you know, something that would, something would happen to him like SIDS or, or something, you know, I would put him down to sleep. And so and he wouldn't wake up. And so I would go in there and, you know, check on him. We ended up using the little owlet sock on his, on his foot. And so just kind of going through that and having those fears and concerns, um, kind of reared its head in a different way. It was almost like now I have this living child on earth that I'm responsible for taking care of. And I don't want him to go to heaven. I want him to be here with me and, and just the weight and the gravity of loving someone so much. And, worrying about him. Um, but again, I, I went out, went to counseling and that was incredibly helpful. And I just had to learn to surrender, not only my child that's in heaven, but my child that's on earth, you know, neither, both of them were made by God and both of them are his and God loves both of them more, even more than I do. And so I had to learn to trust him, um, with both of my children's lives, all of my children's lives that I'm actually expecting again right now and do in a couple of weeks. And so and that's just been an ongoing process for me, but definitely something God has walked me through is uh, working through that anxiety. Can you uh, just explain what that has looked like to surrender your kids? Because I think I totally relate, especially with my first, um, to having that postpartum anxiety. And even though she she was a terrible sleeper, and she would be up in the middle of the night many times, but even when she was sleeping, I would wake startled and run to her nursery and like try and see like is she breathing what's happening and really it was the lack of sleep because of this heightened anxiety that really kind of um really took a toll on me mentally and there was a point where I had to a I had to trust I had to wake up and say I'm trusting she's fine to be able to go back to sleep but I had a very significant moment of surrender as well 
Um, and so I just love to know, which I've chatted about on this podcast before. I'd love to know for you, what was that process like? Yeah, there's something my pastor says is that wherever you, whatever your greatest fear is, that's where you trust God the least. And that really hit me when I heard that in church, because I realized my greatest fear is losing a child. And, and I think some of that stems from going through it with Bridget. And because, you know, for some people who haven't experienced it, it's, it's possibly a fear. Maybe, you know, I think a lot of mom, first time moms go through that anxiety feeling, but for me, I have watched a hearse carry my daughter's casket to a cemetery. I have sat there while she was buried in the ground. So a funeral for a baby is not something that's like a far off idea for me. It's something very real and very, you know, traumatic and that I've experienced personally. And so it's, you know, when people imagine worst case scenarios in their head, for me, it's, it's a very real scenario. It doesn't feel like this made up thing. And so I think that kind of exacerbated that anxiety with my son, because it was like, well, I could imagine planning a funeral and, and doing all of these things as morbid and as awful as that sounds saying out loud, but it just because of my experience. And I think there's something to be said, and my counselor said this, that, you know, women who go through miscarriage and stillbirth and infant death, there is very much a component of PTSD symptoms that happen from that trauma. And that's something I had to work through through counseling is that just the trauma of it and those fears of any sort of worst case scenario playing out in life um, afterwards, because once you've been through a worst case scenario, it's much easier to imagine that something bad is like lurking around the corner and something's going to happen. And so for me, surrendering was like, okay, the worst case scenario did happen for me and God walked me through it. He was faithful. He was good. And I'm okay. Like he, I didn't feel okay during it, but he was faithful to me and he walked me through that. And I know that with him and with my faith in him, I can get through anything. I'm not welcoming any future uh, traumatic events, but I think just going through that, I know that if something were to happen to me again, that I know that God will walk me through it. And ultimately, because I'm so secure in the hope of heaven, that I know that any earthly suffering that could possibly happen on earth is temporary. It's light and momentary compared to, you know, the eternal glory that's waiting for us in heaven. And so it's not a band-aid that fixes everything, but that perspective shift has helped me so much. Even since Bridget, we've had you know, different things go through our family, uh, cancer diagnosis and different things. And that perspective has stayed with me of, okay, God, you are good. You can walk us through these hard things. And there's actually a lot of good that comes from the hard things if we surrender our, our suffering to him. And so I think that's really how I've been able to get through it. And it doesn't mean that I don't still struggle. It doesn't mean that when hard things happen, 2020 and the year of COVID, you know, I struggled with various aspects of that and, and different things that we walked through, but I think it has lessened my, you know, questioning of him. I don't immediately go to why God, why me, you know, where are you, God? I feel like you're abandoning me. Instead, it's more like, okay, God, I know you're here with me. I really don't like this. This is really hard for me, but you're going to be here with me through it. Um, so I think there's just been, been that spiritual maturing and that spiritual grow, growth that's happened where now I can 
fully rely on him, even though I, I might not always like what it is that's happening. Well, I love that you use those words, spiritual maturing and spiritual growth, because as you were speaking, I was thinking about how um, this is a process. It's not like suddenly you come to this place where you're like, oh, okay. And I'm, you know, I'm good with, with whatever's going to happen. Um, I'm surrendering my kids. I'm doing, but more that it's okay, God, like we're, we're meeting together. We're going through, um, sitting in the pain together, walking out of it together, going through this process together. And I do think, like you said, it's, some of it is even getting to that place of saying like, who do, who do I believe you to be God? Like, and, and what is true. And I think for me in my own, um, life, there were just, there were things that I believed about God that weren't true. And that made it really challenging. Cause I, I, I don't know that I believed that he was good always. And so I felt like, um, I was always waiting for some punishment or something, you know, like all these things that, um, I really had created in my head, but I found once I was really in the word every day and I was like, Oh, this is, this is who God is. Um, and he began to really kind of work out some of those things in me that weren't true, that weren't trusting him, that weren't believing him, um, has made so much of that process so much better. It has been, like you said, that growing and that maturing. Um, I also love what you said a little bit early on where you said, um, you know, I can walk through this with him or I can walk through this without him. And, and given the choice, walking through our hard um, valleys in life are so much better with him, right? He often in scripture, it talks about him taking us by the hand and walking. Um, I love all those verses, especially, um, I think it's Isaiah. Um, I want to say 4310, but I'm often wrong. Um, where it says, you know, I'm going to hold uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so I often will have these moments, especially in a, in a crying out moment where I will hold up my hand and just feel like, okay, God, like I, I need you almost like a little kid, like daddy, here I am. I'm trusting you're going to be there. Um, and he is, even as you said, that idea of having you know, some of the peace that passes all understanding. Yes. Um, I want to, I want to talk about how you moved from, um, being in that place um, of grief to being able to start this organization? Like where did that come where you were like, okay, because I'm, people can't see this, but I'm, I'm talking to you right now where you were in your office slash um, Bridget's Cradle's headquarters. That is not a tiny space. It's this very, very large space that is full of supplies, full of Bridges Cradles, things that are coming in, things that are going, and in a non-COVID season would be full of women um, working on Bridges Cradles. So um, I want to know how you went from having this one cradle to now having really this thriving ministry. Yes. First of all, things like this are never built overnight. And so I think um, just for listeners, you know, hearing this when you have big dreams of starting ministry or, or doing anything for God, you know, of course we have grand visions of these things happening, but it really starts with one small act of obedience and then another small act of obedience and another small act and another small act. And that's really what's happened over the course um, of us starting the ministry. We started it in 2015 um, and it really started in her empty nursery. Um, I set up a desk. I had a little laptop. Um, I started working on a website um, where I was just trying to write and, and blog my emotions and grief. I um, One of the things that was really important to me at the beginning 
of my grieving journey was memorializing Bridget in different ways, um, you know, doing crafts and having um, kind of ceremonial type things in terms of like planting a tree or doing a balloon release at her grave. Um, those things were really healing to me. And so I would share about what, you know, what was healing to me and helping me through my grief. And so that's how it started for on my end, on my mom's end, um, being the knitter, the one that made the cradle, um, the hospital that I delivered at Wesley Medical Center here in Wichita, Kansas, they, um, that's where she's employed as well as the postpartum nurse. They reached out to her and said, you know, we've never seen anything like this cradle. We don't have anything like this. We have 200 losses a year of these tiny babies that are born in second trimester. We're either putting them in this large blanket that doesn't suit them, or we're putting them in a washcloth that's not dignifying or you know, sacred enough for the tiny life that, you know, that we should be honoring and respecting. And so they said, you know, could you make some more? So my mom started making more for the hospital and I started kind of doing my blogging thing and we didn't really know what all would come of it at that point, but I knew that I wanted to help other moms and families. And my mom knew she wanted to use her gift of knitting to help other families. And so that's where it started. So six months to the day, so it was April 22nd, 2015. And um, then the marketing and media department of that hospital found out what we were doing. And they said, we would love to do this story about, you know, you experiencing the loss of your daughter and, and now helping other families. You know, will you, would you be willing to come up here and do an interview for one of our local news stations? Well, at the time I had done nothing of the sort. Uh, now I'm, I've done plenty of media things um, and I'm comfortable with it. But at the time I was incredibly nervous and just unsure that I was fit to do something like that. And I was really scared. I wanted to say no, but I was like, okay, well, maybe if we do this news article a story on TV, some more people can help my mom make them here in Wichita, and then we can help the other hospital down the road. So we have two hospitals that have labor and delivery units here in Wichita. And I mean, that was where my brain was thinking like so small, like, okay, maybe we'll help this other hospital. Um, and so I did the interview. It aired on our local station, and then it ended up airing nationwide on all these news stations across the country. And then Buzz 360, like Yahoo News picked it up. It went viral. And all of a sudden, within, I mean, just that day, 24 hours, we were just getting emails from all across the country, hospitals saying, we need this. We don't have anything for these tiny babies. Knitters and crocheters saying, we want to help you. You know, where do we send them? And so immediately um, I was like, okay, this is something here, God. Um, you definitely had bigger plans than I did for this interview. And so uh, quickly we got an attorney and set up our 501, 501c3 nonprofit status. And then we got a PO box, um, we, people wanting to send things to us. And um, we started developing our patterns for the, for the cradles and the website and the structure and all of these things. I mean, there were so many policies, procedures and different things we had to set up to get things running. And really that's where it started. It started as this small, little seed in her nursery. And then we just, over time, were able to grow and grow and grow. Um, and so in 2016, um, one of my, she's now one of my best friends, but, um, I didn't really know her at the time. She reached out to me on Facebook. She had uh, gone to youth group with my husband 
And she just said, let me know if you need any help. I have nonprofit experience. And so I said, okay, yes, I would love to, to just hear your feedback on how we're doing things and how we're operating and all of that. And so anyway, she ended up flying out uh, to Wichita to come see what we were doing. And after that trip, she went back home and said, you know what? I love what you're doing. I'm going to resign from my job and do this full time. And so her and I were two full-time, um, non-paid. I'm still unpaid. We do this for free. This, this is our passion. Um, every donation that comes into Bridget's Cradles, we 100% use for operations and our, our services to families. But um, anyway, she came on and her experience really helped us grow the, the foundation of the nonprofit. And so, yeah, really from that moment, we grew and more hospitals found out about us. And now we are um, donating to over a thousand hospitals in all 50 states. We think it's about a third of all hospitals that have labor and delivery units. Our dream and our vision would be to one day help every single family that goes through miscarriage and stillbirth in the country. And then maybe the world, but we'll start with, <laughs> with the United States. Um, and yeah, just to share the hope of the gospel on our website and on our social media pages. And we launched um, support groups that we do in person and online. We have craft nights for bereaved moms. We have this annual event called the Wave of Light on October 15th, which is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. If you get a chance to go to our YouTube, we have a video of the one that we did last year um, in 2020 because it was um, the year of COVID and we couldn't gather for a candlelight vigil like we normally did. So we did this, uh, it was a quarter mile light display with 50,000 pink, blue and white lights set up for babies in heaven and families could drive through and they would hear their baby's names read over a speaker as they drove through. And then there was little signs with their baby's names by the lights. It was beautiful. And so that's what we do now. We do a lot of different things, but really the core mission of Bridget's Cradles is to spread hope and healing um, to families who are experiencing the devastating loss of the baby. So, wow. yes. Um, there's so much in that I know. story. I mean, one part of it just being the fact that, um, again, this beauty from ashes moment of like God redeeming this um, painful experience, but also um, really honoring Bridget's life. Um, and also that you had no idea what you were doing just that you were just being obedient to this little prompting of this, okay, I think this is how I want to share my story with people um, and seeing a need and just kind of continuing to be obedient to those little things. And um, I also love that God brought alongside people, um, the people that you needed um, so whether that's, um, people who are going to be knitting or the, um, friend who ends up coming to help run the nonprofit. Like, I just love the story in that of how, you know, we don't always know what is going to come from our little yes. And how, like, I love that you said, just starts with this little yes here and that God will continue to provide provision and people, uh, is so powerful. Yes. Um, because and I mean, most in, of the yeah. most of the volunteers um, that volunteer with me internally here in Wichita, 
their other bereaved moms that have lost babies. And so we have formed this community of moms who all are serving in memory of our babies in heaven and all are serving to comfort other people who have experienced the same pain. And those women are now my best friends. And so it's amazing to see how God has provided for the ministry and other people saying yes to that calling and also giving them the opportunity to serve out their calling for Jesus and in memory of their babies, but then to bring us alongside each other to walk the grief journey together. Cause that's huge part of healing is being able to have other people walk through it with you, especially people who understand your pain. And so that has been huge having that community and having these friendships that have come from serving and from, you know, volunteering together and, and sharing that common heartache. And that's been huge. And, and like you said, with the small acts of obedience, you know, God has equipped me every step of the way. So some of it has been things from my past, you know, having a, a master's degree in speech pathology, that seems kind of unrelated to what I do now in ministry, but there's actually been so much that I learned through college and through my experience there that has equipped me in this new role. And so you see God working out, like, you know, nothing is wasted that he's taught you or that he's brought you through, or there's things that he teaches me that are brand new as I'm walking through being, you know, an executive director of a nonprofit. There's so much to learn and it's all been on the job, on the ministry training, um, but he will equip you as you go. And you, you know, I've learned so much in the five years and there's still so much for me to learn in the next five years and the next five years, but it's actually really exciting to lean on God in that way. I always say I'm the executive director, but God is the CEO because I'm trying to, you know, follow him and, and follow his leading and his provision for this ministry and, and have him teach me how to lead. Um, and that's been actually really fun and exciting and challenging for me to, to step into this role and to learn from him and follow him as I, as I leave this ministry. So. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I know people are going to have listened and want to find out more, um, about Bridget's Cradles. Where can people find out, um, more about how to possibly even support you? I don't know if you accept financial support or if it's just people who are knitting, like how do people get connected yes. with Bridget's Cradles? Our website is bridgetscradles.com and that has all the information that you would need. So we have knitting and crocheting application um, on there. You can live anywhere in the country to knit or crochet with us. You just sign up and then we send you the patterns of how to make them and then you send them to us. We finish them here and then we send them out to hospitals from here. And they're donated to the hospitals completely free of charge. And so they don't have to pay for shipping or anything. Everything goes to the families and to the hospitals for free. And so you can sign up to volunteer on there. If you are local to Wichita, Kansas, you can sign up to volunteer with us locally. We also have a give hope section on our website about giving. And um, there's lots of ways that you can give. You can give in memory of a baby and we will send boxes out in memory of your baby. Um, and it's really special. We have their name written on the box and everything. And um, it's just a really special way to, to honor babies in heaven. And so there's lots of opportunities to give. Like I mentioned, 100% of donations go directly to our mission. Um, and then we also have a lot of resources on our website for bereaved families. And so if you have experienced a miscarriage or stillbirth, infant death. Um, we have so many resources for you. We have other stories. We have blog posts. We have grieving and healing, um, you know, ideas and, and ways to cope with grieving. 
Um, and we also have a social media, Facebook and Instagram. We try to share quotes and Bible verses and what's going on in our ministry and, you know, everything that we're, we're doing with events and various support groups that we have online. And we have every month, a hope online support group. If anyone's looking for online support, it's over zoom. So you can also check that out on the website. So I think everything that you would need to know is there, but if there is a question that you have, you can always reach out to me over email um, or over social media. So, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. Um, very powerful story. I'm excited to see all that God has for you and your ministry and your family life in 2021. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.